I think that fundamentally changed me because I went from this dickhead who'd run around naked and do hilarious shit to someone that actually thought a little bit more seriously about what are we trying to do and who are we communicating to. And, you know, I think I grew up real fast in a real short space of time. A really interesting chat, this one. Hello, my name is Dom Evans. I'm head of production at Fox FM in Melbourne. And in this podcast, I'm talking to audio producers from all around the world about how they craft the sound of radio stations. This is Podcast. My guest today is Chris Nickel. Chris started off at ZM in New Zealand, moved over to the UK and ended up being the head of production for Capital, which is a huge job, and now works at Imager, which is a production service. And look, we cover a lot of ground here, and I'm really thankful to Chris for being so open and honest in this episode. And we do get to London, there's certainly a lot to talk about there, but how did Chris end up running around the office naked? Let's find out. We're going back to where it all began in New Zealand. She's back from the brink of crazy to win three MTV awards. And the winner for best female video. Best pop video. And the winner is. And release her new album, Circus. ZM presents. Britney When I started at ZM, I hadn't, I didn't really have any sort of inspiration and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have a mentor per se. So I was just left in this tiny wee box by myself day in, day out. Um, and I just started to go a bit mental. So, you know, from, from at first I was just trying to throw as many bits of sound design over a cool piece of music with a voiceover as I possibly could. And sort of maybe after a couple of years of doing that, that was getting boring. And by then I'd discovered SoundCloud and the internet and things <laughs> yeah, yeah. had really started to kick in. And, you know, it turns out New Zealanders don't just live in grass mud huts and things. <laughs> um, we, you know, I started to explore and connect with other people and starting to share and hear some really crazy stuff, i.e. John Frost. And that, so that just kind of spoke to me. And I was always a bit of a dickhead. Um, <laughs> You know, I always found dumb shit funny. And so that's where crazy, like just trying to sing over stuff. I was like, I'm just going to try it. And I would just do things until my boss got angry at me. That's amazing. I mean, like I'm picturing like the Timberland promo with the kazoo. Mate, that was so much fun. ZM. <laughs> what would MacGyver do? With a kazoo, a pen and a glass. Eh? Better yet, what would Timberland do? ZM wants you to find out. Timberland. I guess my brain was just working in a different way. I didn't care about my technical um, skills. I cared about my creative skills at that time. Mm. So I was really just trying to be weird and funny and creative. And I was really keen on how do I communicate with people in ways that I've not heard before? You know, everybody would talk about Timbaland being some crazy ass genius who'd just like grab random sounds. So I thought, well, I can do that. Um, And so that's where that came from. But I mean, I actually took pride in getting complaints for some of the work that I was doing. Really? Um, So I would try and I would try to get complaints about stuff. 
because it meant my work had connected. You know, it was like an emotional connection. Mm. Um, so that was important to me to get those kind of results. Wow, huge feet. Well, you know what they say. Big feet, big pee. Shoes? Um, I was going to say big pee. Shoes. No, no, not shoes. Big pee. Win a brand new pair from ZM. Look, I'll just wait till you're finished. Get to the new live-footed shoe store, Cornelietis and Devon Streets. Try on Cinderella's shoe, and if it fits, you win new shoes. Unlike the fairy tale, there's no Prince Charming involved. One more time. Big feet, big pe- Shoes. <sighs> Look, forget it. What? Nothing. But my boss did eventually get a little angry because, you know, if he'd asked me to change things and I really believed in them, I'd just put on the front. I, I think one promo I actually just put on the front. The boss asked for us to change this promo um, because he felt it was too offensive. So by recording this message on the front of the promo, this is the change, and then just rolled the whole promo <laughs> as it was, because I thought that was funny. It is funny. And I think, I, th- I see, I thought so too, but I think it was about as close as I got to a written warning ever. Um, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get one, because he was pissed. Mm. Look, it's a really clever sound you had at ZM. Did you have to have a really good creative crew to bounce ideas around, or was this just sort of you in the studio going nuts? It was me going nuts. I didn't have anyone to bounce anything. Well, I, that's unfair. We were a small team at that station at the time. I think there was maybe 20 of us, but I was the only person doing the imaging. Mm. Um, the station was the place where we all worked, but on a Friday night, we'd start drinking at five o'clock and some of us, we wouldn't leave till 2am because we'd just been partying mm. um, at the station. So that just kind of, you know, I guess it was some sort of weird family environment and, you know, I would go to promo days you know we went to one where they had firemen doing i don't know stripper firemen doing some shit um and that that inspired me not to become a stripper fireman but to do a promo where i actually recorded what it would sound like if someone was to just walk into an office and start stripping so i literally set microphones up in the office put a radio in the corner and turned on you know the stereotypical strip music and then just walked in and started taking my clothes off in the sales area to see what would happen. And I recorded that and that actually made it into a promo, which I ended up having to cut a load of stuff out because most people just told me I was being an idiot. But there was, there was something about the atmosphere and the, you know, almost like radio drama that I couldn't have created unless I'd sort of set that up. Um Mate, I'm in awe of that. I don't think I challenge any image producer to give me another Foley example that is as awesome as that. <laughs> Seriously. I was, just, I was just a fuckwit, basically. I'm just an absolute douchebag, um, and I didn't care what anyone thought of anything. I'm pretty sure I pissed a lot of people off. I wasn't very considerate, but I was mental and had a great time, so, you know, buggy all. You must have just had confidence of steel to do that. I was just in a place where the creative was all for me. You know, and I knew if I got arrested, I wouldn't get kicked out of the country. So, um, you know, I think that's probably got a kind of part of why I've calmed down in later years. It just sounds like you had an absolute blast back home in New Zealand. So what prompted the move to the UK? Did you have a gig lined up or? No, so... um you just wanted to get naked somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's take this international, baby. <laughs> UK, UK, UK. Get ready, cause we gonna come, get loose, get wild, and we gonna get off the chain. Get ready, it's Marvin Hughes. Capital. It's sort of a culmination of a few things. So my girlfriend at the time was in advertising, and she really wanted to get into coming over to the UK and trying to get a job at a creative agency over here and really hitting the big time. 
And I'd had a couple of run-ins with my um, my boss. Um, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough. Um, no, I mean, he and I, we have a great relationship. I don't talk to him all that often now, but um, we still catch up. He's a great guy. But w- we had a run-in. I think I chucked my toys out the pram and told him he could make it and stormed off or something stupid, like, you know, something really, like, teenage and yeah, dumb. Yeah, yeah. You make it then. Yeah, but yeah, that sort of thing. You know, we've all been there, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but I just was like, I need a break. So that's really what prompted it. It wasn't any like moment. I didn't have a job lined up. I was like, I'll pull pints for two years, you know, soak up a bit of life, do some travel. Mm. Um, and I'll go back and I'll do something else. Um, and here I am (laughs) nearly, nearly nine years later. Okay. So I'm just trying to fill in the blank. So running around the office naked in New Zealand, running with the boss, land in London, a little bit of freelancing, then head of production for capital. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it was hard when I got here. I, I sort of landed and I was ready to get back into it. You know, I, I'd, I'd finished work in August. It was September, new place, had great experience, and then there was no jobs. And I thought, shit. Um, and in the end, uh, someone in New Zealand knew someone at a station in Oxford called Jack FM, which is totally the Jack format that we all know. Um, and they loved to have... Um, people contribute to their one-liners. So I would just write scripts for them and I would get three pounds per line they used. Um, wow, the big time. Yeah, so that was that was hardcore because I literally hit the, uh, you know, I just hit, hit a, a, a diuretic state of writing lines. Um, mm. And that was hard. Um, but over time, they needed someone to cover production. So I did some cover production and probably did some of my best stuff for them whilst I was doing that cover production. People often ask us why Jack doesn't do requests. A better question is, why do so many radio stations pretend to do requests? So all while all of that's going on, I'm applying for normal radio jobs and getting nothing. And I'd applied for an assistant producer role at Capital. And Arden Hanley was... Um, uh, who was ex-Nova. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually head of production at that time... I did an interview and I didn't get the job and I was bummed because I really thought that, you know, I thought I could do that. It's a junior job. I'm better than junior. And that was a really humbling experience. And he said, well, the guy we've hired can't start for a month. I can give you a month's work. And I looked at my bank balance and I had about 20 quid left. Um, You know, I I was so close to ringing mum and saying, can you buy me a flight home? Because I can't get a job. Uh, and at the end of that month, they said, oh, actually, we wouldn't mind using you for cover or, you know, if we've got projects on, we need extra people. Can you come in and we'll pay you? And I said, of course, I've got nothing else. <laughs> I'll see if I'm um, available. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let me check my diary free from now till the end of my visa. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, within a couple of months, I think they'd, Arden was kind of like, yeah, you weren't right for that job. Uh, but you are right for a better job. We need to find you one. Mm. And, you know, and true to his word, he um, engineered a few things and they they had a few staffing changes, which allowed me to um, step into an imaging role there. Three months later, I'm deputy head of production and Arden's down to, I think, two or three days a week. So I'm effectively de facto boss. Mm. Um, we launched the Capital Network in, in, in another six months nationwide because at that time it was only in London. And then Arden left 
um, and I took over. Uh, so it was certainly a trial by fire. So, I mean, I, I might have taken a little bit of liberty in the LinkedIn profile, folks. Um, <laughs> but, that, but that's the journey. Hit music, music. is here. London's number one hit music station. This is Pop Capital. I got the feedback on why I didn't get the original Capital job, which was I was too relaxed. Okay. You know, I sat in the interview kind of almost with my feet up on the desk kind of thing, which is... <laughs> when do I start, kids? Totally. I was so chilled. Um, it, it was a bad thing. And mm. I learned a lot from that. And, you know, I think that fundamentally changed me because I went from this dickhead who'd run around naked and do hilarious shit to someone that actually thought a little bit more seriously about actions and, and uh, interaction and... Um, you know, I stopped thinking about this piece has to be the funniest thing I ever made or the best thing I ever made and actually started to think this piece needs to fit into the context of the entire radio station and what are we trying to do and who are we communicating to? And, and you know, I, I think I grew up real fast in a real short space of time because I'd never been surrounded by people that cared about that or that's unfair. Not that they didn't care, but that spent the time making me care about it. Are you ready? What sort of comes to mind is like going to the big smoke, but that doesn't quite feel right. It's not, is that what it is from New Zealand to the UK? I don't know if it's that. I think, and I still identify this a lot. In all fairness, this is um, true of any Antipodean, um, South African, Australian, New Zealand. We just have this she'll be right attitude. You know, you can do it. Get me some number eight wire, a toothpick and a um, pair of pliers. We can fix it kind of mm. mentality, which is wicked. And I definitely think that's helped me a lot. But I think that we also have a tendency to not take things as seriously as we should. But I, I, I definitely think that that, for me, was the big thing I noticed. You know, here I am in this big city. But actually, listen the problems are the same. The radio stations rate or they don't rate. The margin of error is the same. Um, you know, it's either, you know, we all know that a lot of this stuff is based on people ticking diaries. So it's either a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong. We're all caught up in it, no matter where we are in the world. I think it's all about the mentality and the interpretation. And I think there's, um, the big difference is definitely that. And I think that difference exists because when I was at the station in New Zealand, a big budget client was $20,000 or $40,000. Mm. Um, you know, when I was at Capital, a big budget client was millions mm. um, of pounds, which, of pounds, even, yeah. you know, let's, let's convert that because that's even more. Um, and, you know, so people take it far more seriously and that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it can get in the way of being creative, but ultimately... Um, clients don't want to throw six million pounds at some dickhead who's going to sing over a song. They want to throw six million pounds at a campaign that's really going to work for them. Mm. Um, and they're buying into a brand. So you need to think about the brand. Um, so yeah, it, it comes down to mentality and then down to money. The stage is huge. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Everyone jumping at the same time. Yes, it's going to be a huge moment for me. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. The crowd was intense. It was such an incredible feeling. Thank you so much. It just went off. 
Capitals. Jingle Bell Ball. With Coca-Cola. Share the happiness. Who will be there this year? Keep it capital to find out. Monday, 7 a.m. The UK's biggest Christmas party. (laughs) I just can't wait to do it, man. Capital. What did you learn, you know, working on a massive brand like that over a long period of time? Can it be sort of too hyped, do you think? Oh, 100%. 100%. What's the perfect spot? I don't know if there is one, you know. <laughs> uh, I think fashion comes and goes in terms of, you know, audio fashion and branding fashion. Um, I think it's difficult at times because when – you have big pop superstars, you know, that everyone's listening to and knows. That's when a brand like Capital, do, I think, does really well, especially when it's shouting from the rooftops about all the artists. Mm. Um, but when you've got a lot of kind of one-hit wonders or or sort of almost too cool artists, SoundCloud rappers and all of that kind of stuff, I think then the brand doesn't work quite so well because people don't know who they are as, as readily. You know, it definitely makes it difficult, I think, for big brands to hang their hat on the look at all the stars that we have access to. Mm. Um, but that said, I mean, London and the UK as a whole is a very competitive marketplace. You have Kiss here and they are all about being real cool. And, you know, it's they sound like listeners are doing all their imaging um, and, you know, the, the the voices are chosen to be in the target market of that station, which is, by the way, 100% the right thing to do and a million percent awesome. Um, sounds wicked. But at Capital, if we turned around and did that, we just sound like Kiss. So that's not what you want to do. Um, so we sort of, you know, you do have to sort of identify your position and hang your hat on it and then just rinse that as best you can. Um, and as creatively as you can, um, which is where, you know, so feeding into something like the Jingle Bell Ball was an excellent opportunity to kind of use the artists in different ways um, because everyone can get the high I'm. Hey, it's Katy Perry. Totally. Okay. Everyone can do that shit, right? But, yeah, and, and we've all got the same drop, I'm pretty sure. Yes, um, we do. <laughs> you know, um, so it's like, okay, how can how can we use that in a different way? How can we expand on that? Um, and actually there was a campaign um, where it was the artists talking about the other artists at the ball they couldn't wait to see. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, Neo would be like, I can't wait to see Kesha tear up the stage at the Jingle Bell Ball. And it was that was just a different way mm. of doing what is ultimately a concert promo. Capital. Check this out. This is what I am. You know, everybody was like, let's have a party. I was like, yo, let's go by Capital and play some music. That'd be fresh. Ladies and gentlemen, listening. Will I Am was driving around London and he literally was ringing up radio stations seeing where he could get in to talk about his new song. It was not planned whatsoever. This just happened. And he came in. That was probably the most mental time when I, I you know, I was sitting at a desk. Um, I didn't happen to be in a studio at that time. And I turned around and Will I Am walked past me <laughs> and I was literally like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> what? Like... I'm not someone that gets starstruck, but normally I know when people are coming in. Yeah. And I didn't, I hadn't been told at that point. And I was literally like, right, we need dry feeds of the microphones. Um, <laughs> I need to start building something because he's in. Something's going to yeah. happen. So yeah. I need to be prepared for it. Listening to Katy Perry on Capital. I got a dirty mind. I got filthy ways. Now, your integrated intros 
How do you approach these? Because one of the things we've touched on a lot is the length of them. Yours are very punchy and they sound great. Thank you. How do you look at something like that? What's your sort of approach? Yeah, I don't... It's hard, isn't it? I mean, there are lots of different ways that you can skin the cat. I mean... (laughs) I think it's important to think about what you're trying to achieve. And so this is like, you know, we didn't do power intros at ZM, so I never, I'd, who knows what I'd have done if I was doing power intros there because I was so mental and didn't give a shit about anything other than the piece I was making. I would have loved but, to hear you know, them though, Chris. I know, right? It'd been pretty interesting to see. They've probably gone on for a minute or something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly, certainly at Capital, I was very much um, all about brevity. Um over time, that changed to be more about how do you stamp the capital brand into the music? You know, most times not all that creative because it was effectively artist ID. Maybe the artist says something interesting and then, you know, big voiceover saying capital. Um, but, you know, sometimes there might have been a way to work it into the song or if we had any connection with the artist, they might record a version where they sing capital into the song. You know, we could use That's that. fantastic. That, I mean, that happened rarely, um, you know, or it might even have just been um, – it was a Lady Gaga song where she started and she was speaking and she said capital H-I-M. Uh, and so obviously we found her saying F and dropped the H-I and so she said capital F-M into the song. You know, little tricks like that. Clever. And so that was a, a power intro without anything else really going on in it. So it was kind of subversive. Mm. Um, actually, a nice way to think about it would be when you watch TV, the most annoying thing is if they decide between every ad to put – um, a little station logo on the T, you know, just a quick little two second or a split second blip of the logo and then the next ad plays. Channel two. Totally. Annoying, right? Yeah. But if they just put a watermark on the TV station, which mm. most stations now do, it's so much more effective. So effectively they're branding everything that they play. And I guess that's what radio stations do by branding the music. But I do think that, you know, brevity is important. You don't want to go on and on and on for ages and I think musicality is key. If you have to ruin the song to do it, don't do don't, it. Don't do it, yeah. Totally. You know, that's why people are listening to you. So if you fuck with the song so much that people don't like the song, then you're an idiot. The Capital Extra stuff, I really like the textures in this production. Is this sort of a sound that you came up with or did you sort of inherit that sound? So so that's that's quite a cool story because um, I was literally one day called into a meeting with the owner who said, um, I want you to design some new sound for Capital Extra. I would just mess about all day and all night trying to come up with something. And I was getting nowhere. And then, like all good ideas, they just come to you when you're doing something else. And I can't remember what I was doing, so let's pretend like I was having a shit or something. <laughs> um, and this this idea just came to me that, well, hang on, like dubstep's becoming this big thing and dubstep is effectively noise. Like, it, it, it's just like... Um, everybody suddenly discovered that they could automate loads of crazy effects on bass lines and shit. This is 
These producers are pushing effects to the extreme. What would that sound like over voiceovers? And, you know, how could I manipulate the voice to create some extreme effects? So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of where I started. It's so cool, mate. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I'm really proud of that package because it's probably one of the few things where I inherited nothing. And so I think I just started messing around, making a whole bunch of kind of big bassy wobble noises and just effectively thinking to myself, all of these mental noises I'm making, I'm totally going to use. And I use none of them. But I ended, up lear- I, I ended up learning a lot from making those sounds, how to then apply that to the voice. I don't think it's technically the best thing I've ever made in terms of the mix or whatever, but I'm, I think it carved out a really neat brand sound that I don't think I'd heard anywhere else or I didn't I wasn't aware of anyone else doing that um even now when I listen back to it I can sort of hear elements of it that are now in my work to this day so you know I've, I've found it a really great project to work on this is capital extra extra you know what I love about you, brother, is you are so forthcoming in um, you're very self-deprecating and you're very honest about the fact that, um, you know, you've been in New Zealand and, you know, you said you're a bit of a dickhead or whatever. You don't sound like you have any regrets, but is there anything you wish you'd known sooner or have you just enjoyed the ride? Do you know, I think I've been very, very lucky uh, I am not, I, you know, I'm not a religious person. I don't really believe in luck because I think luck is where opportunity and skill meet. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's hard not to say that I've been lucky. I've been in the right place in quite a few times. Um, and I've had some really great managers that have allowed me to, you know, had a manager that let me be a dickhead for five years. I mean, strip in the office. Yeah. I mean, most people would have been um, stopped. I would have had my creativity bashed out of me. But I think that, you know, a credit to my boss Christian at that time because I think he knew that that was my process. Mm. Um, and, and you know, I credit him with, quite frankly, my nearly my whole career because he nurtured me and let me discover um, and um, rewarded me and, and encouraged me and um, let me be a bit of a diva. Um, you know, and I'll forever be thankful for that. And then, um, you know, Arden is the next person who really made a huge difference in my career because he taught me how to be a responsible adult, quite frankly. Mm. Um, and do I regret anything? No. I mean, there are little, you know, of course there are always pockets of things you regret. You know, there are some things that I've done as a manager, which I can't believe I did. And I'm, you know, I think, what a dick. I can't believe I did that. You know, or said something to someone, little things like that. But overall, I've got no regrets. I mean, I, I've I've had a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Um, I've got to travel the world. Um, you know, professionally, this is brilliant. I mean, I miss my family in New Zealand, but I feel like I'd step a bit back too far having come this far in my career to go back. So, uh, you know, and my... Um, my English wife would go tomorrow if it wasn't for her family. So, you know, my I think the biggest regrets are family, really, other than professional. Mm. And I was going to ask you about going into a production house, obviously now Imager and Wise Buddha, because most people listening will be inside a radio brand 
and yeah, you know, it's probably stuff we that you already knew. But what's really come to the surface now that you're outside of radio and in a production house, looking in on radio? What's become more apparent to you now? Life is important. Mm. Um, I, I all my way through my job in New Zealand and at Capital, um there weren't enough hours in the day that I could give to work. And then I found myself at 32. I was newly married. My father had literally just passed away very suddenly. And I thought, shit, I've literally just worked. I mean, yes, I've met my wife. That's brilliant. But, uh, you know, and I wouldn't change that. But I have literally given so much of my time to work that I've forgotten what it is to live. Uh, which is why I left the station in the end, because I wanted to get a work-life balance. Now, you know, work-life balance is pretty damn impossible these days with phones. <laughs> Increasingly difficult, isn't it? Uh, totally. But but I, I wanted to have a little bit more control on what was work and what was life and, and, and sort of get back to the things I enjoyed. Now, I loved working at a radio station because, you know, you make something that morning, it's on air that Literally, well, as soon mm. as you've finished it in some cases, and yep. then you get to hear it. And over time, it becomes yours. And when you listen or your friends listen, they all know that that's yours. And I think that's a cool feeling. But I started to think that there's more to um, there's more to it than just slaving at that coal face and making stuff. And, um, you know, what's the bigger picture for me? Um, you know, I'd enjoyed making and managing people, but I wanted to try a new challenge and work for a smaller business um, and work across formats and countries. And so that's kind of why I ended up at, at, at Imager because that's what we do. Um, it's very easy uh, and, and we all say it, it's only radio. No one yep. died. Yeah. But at the same time... Um, it can feel like it some I, days, right? Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> uh, but I also think, like, for, for my personal journey, um, guys, I'm starting to turn into, like, some sort of Tim Ferriss or spiritual. <laughs> but but for my journey, like, I sort of, I you know, when my father passed away, he'd been a, an animal geneticist all his life, and he'd dedicated so much time to something, and he didn't get to enjoy his retirement. And I thought, if I were him, I'd be pissed off. You know, I want, I'd want a few years of being able to, you know, go and see the world or do whatever. Um, so actually I want to make a choice for me that allows me to get some of that now because what if I didn't get to retire because I died early? Um, mm. You know, life's ha I don't want life to happen around me. I want to be part of it. I want to be present. Um, and probably only in the last, you know, probably couple of months have I realized my passion again. Um, I think it's very easy to get burnt out. I think, you know, as I, you know, as I'm telling you these stories, I'm sort of assessing myself and thinking I'm an all or nothing kind of person. You know, I'm either, I'm either going to jump into this thing naked or, <laughs> you know, I'm going to run with this bit between my teeth until I hit a wall. I'm not, I'm not going to stop. And that burnt me out. And I think it's taken me a couple of years out of a radio station, at a production house, to find what I'm passionate about and to find that actually, you know, I don't have to be at a station to create something that's going to connect with someone uh, and, 
and have an emotional response or, you know, radio's not going to save lives. No. But if you entertain someone enough, that entertainment, it might be the difference for them. You know, that for me now is my drive is, you know, how do we make stuff that's going to help great stations or great brands or great businesses or whatever um, connect with their audience and have an emotional response? You know, that's what we do. Mm. That's the sole root of what branding is. And I think we spend too much time thinking about how cool it can be. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I've sort of started to come to this place now. And that's, I find that really passionate because it means I can start to tie together the creativity of my early years with some of the technical skills that I've been picking up in my later years uh, and maybe start to deliver some really fascinating, you know, connecting things. That's so cool. What a lovely note to end on, Chris. I love that. You're welcome. I just want to get out and run through a field now. With the wind in your hair and daisy chains and... But people will be dying again tomorrow in radio. <laughs> oh, t- yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Run towards the whiskey, everybody. Yes, no, I-, I will absolutely be doing that. And now before we go, so at Imager now and still killer stuff. So if anybody needs a hand with Imager, what sort of stuff are you best um, able to assist people with? We're like a production service, really. Um, effectively, we like to think that we make uh, premium tools for people to brand their products you know if you're a busy person and you don't have a team we're your production team in that sense um we do do some custom work um uh but uh you know our main concentration is more of a production service um you know we cater for a few formats chr hot ac country um classic it's and ac sales pitch done and if people want to get in contact what's the best way to get in contact I think the best way is over email because I've gone post-social, folks. Um, so um, just, mate, I mean, slight aside that's probably boring for everybody, but my life is so much better without Facebook and without Instagram and all of that shit. But anyway, uh, I, I have LinkedIn. People can find me on LinkedIn um, or chris at imgr.com also works really well. Awesome. Chris Nickel, brother, thank you so much for your time, man. No worries, man. Good to talk. That was so cool. Chris Nickel, top bloke, excellent producer. Like I said at the top of the episode, really appreciate how honest he was in sharing so much of his experience. Thank you, brother. That was great. Next week, a producer from Australia who's worked on a whole bunch of formats in commercial radio and now works for the ABC doing Triple J, Travis Evans. Sometimes I think that I like the space, but really I kind of like the pressure sometimes. If you have too much space, I mean, it's very easy just to sort of like dawdle around I guess once you're sort of used to having to work on things really quickly you kind of start to sometimes rely on a bit of the uh, you know feeling a bit of heat to make things feel free to get in contact at podcastshow at gmail.com I'm at Dom Evans AU on Twitter until next week thanks so much for listening <laughs>